listening to the weekly podcast of Bethel Bible Church and Pastor Mark Kirkendall. We're so glad you've joined us today. And as always, you can find more information about the church at our website, BethelBible.com. You can find us on Facebook and even follow us on Twitter at Bethel Bible. Let's join Sunday service now. But today's going to be a lot of fun. Um, Today we're going to look at two major events, and it's going to kind of it feels for me kind of like reaching back in the past. If you grew up in kind of Sunday school, you're going to remember when flannel art was like cutting edge technology. And there were these little cutouts of people and, and different boats and, and uh, figurines and animals. And your teacher would teach and they would use these little uh, pieces of flannel to captivate your attention. And if I had one, I would be using it today, but I couldn't find one on short notice. So if you will, go to John chapter 6 this morning. So here's what we're going to see. Uh, we're going to see the idea that Jesus is the only one that can satisfy our deepest hunger and calm our greatest fear. And it's something I think everyone can relate to, that we all have things that we hunger for, things that we will sacrifice for. Uh, just this past week, the McMahons have been approved to be foster parents, something that God's laid on their heart, and there's this hunger to do this. Uh, in my family, Marla has for years wanted to go back to school and to work on her master's. And man, she's made a lot of sacrifices to to make that happen, and it's a hunger that, that you have for something. Maybe it's that thing you can't stop thinking about that you're ready to do, and you're hunger to see it happen. But the other story will be the idea of tackling fears, and that we all have them. I mean, I'm a professional worrier. Um, I'm really good at it. Uh, my anxiety is always high. Uh, don't sleep enough. Stress is uh, high on things. And for you, yours might be, maybe it's a financial thing. We pray for those things each and every week. I, I know that is a fear for many people. For some, maybe it's a marriage, kids, job, where you are in your stage of life, and there's this fear of, of the unknown. Well, today we'll see these two experiences where Jesus can satisfy the deepest hunger and calm our greatest fear. So Clint wrapped up chapter 5 last week, uh, did a great job uh, with a challenging uh, passage. And we're going to open up in chapter 6, but it's important to make sure that we're still in line, that we don't miss anything, because if you just closed up chapter 5 and started reading in chapter 6, what you don't realize is that it's actually six months in between those chapters. Here's some things that have happened. Jesus has been traveling around Galilee and uh, he's teaching a lot of the parables. You can go and read those in the gospel, the other gospels. He's been healing. He sends out the 12 uh, to go around the Galilee, and they're performing miracles and, and teaching, and people are following. And this is one that's been puzzling this week. I asked Marla if she knew, and she's like, I don't know. But John that's writing this gospel is one of the men that followed, first of all, John the Baptist. And in this six months, John has been beheaded by Herod. And man, for some reason, John doesn't even mention that. And what we can often not realize is that we are only a year away from the crucifixion of Jesus. And so we're going to pick up in chapter 6, verse 1, where I call this, the crowd follows the miracle maker. It says, after this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And anytime you see that, that typically means they're on the western shore 
the, the Jewish side, and the other side is kind of the other side of the tracks. That's where those, you know, smelly, uh, stinky Gentiles live. It's the Decapolis area, and he's going to go to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, the Sea of Tiberias, and a large crowd is following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up on the mountain, and he sat there down with the disciples. Now, it was Passover, and the feast of the Jews was at hand. And so, Jesus leaves the western shore, and he makes his way to the eastern side of Galilee. And Jesus is drawing these massive, massive crowds of people. I mean, who wouldn't? He's healing people. He's teaching like no one's ever taught before, and they can't get enough of Jesus. Some are following for personal reasons. They just want to be healed. For others, Jesus is kind of piquing this interest of this really could be the Messiah, the one that we've heard about for year after year after year. But he's going to set out for the eastern side. And I love this about this show us about Jesus is, man, Jesus, I think, is tired. He's, he's weary. I mean, he needs some alone time and he goes off to the hillside. In fact, he crosses the lake to get away from people. He goes up on the hillside. I think he wants to catch up with the disciples and go, hey, tell me how the last six months has been. What'd you see? What'd you experience? Well, he goes up on the side of the mountain and he looks up and here comes the crowds. Man, for me, I'm looking for a cave at this point. I need some alone me time. You know, I'm kind of done with people at this point. I'm drained. Notice what Jesus does. He's going to do two things. He's going to see this as an opportunity to show love and compassion, but also he wants to deepen the disciples' faith. It's like he's never done working for us. Chapters, or verses 5 and 6, it's Jesus' compassion with his testing. It says, lifting up his eyes then and seeing that the large crowd was coming toward him. Jesus turns to Philip. Where are we going to buy bread so that these people may eat? And he said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. And the first thing to notice is that Jesus cares for these people. I mean, he cares that their bellies are empty. And he has compassion on them. They're following him for all kinds of reasons. But Jesus loves them. He doesn't see them as a bother. They're not bothering him. He wants to have compassion on him. So he turns to Philip. Why Philip? Well, Philip would kind of be like the, the local guy. He's from Bethsaida, which is the, the closest city from where he, is, where he is sitting at this point. And Philip's going to kind of know the lay of the land. He's going to know the resources available. He's going to know, you know, what restaurants could kind of pull this off or who to call. But he's also the one that we read about in John 1. There, He meets Jesus and he finds Nathaniel and he says, Hey, the one that we've been hearing about who was with Moses and the prophet spoke of him, this is Philip. And so Jesus wants to show compassion. But he's also going to use it to test Philip's faith. But here's something, a side note of this is important, that there is a difference between testing and tempting. And you see both of them in the scriptures. Satan tempts, but God only tests. 
And there's a big difference because God is going to test his people. He's going to see it here with Philip. You're going to see it with the disciples in a few moments that he tests people only to refine or to deepen their faith, never to tempt them to do evil. Genesis 22, you read about God testing Abraham when he takes Isaac up on the mountain. James 1 tells us to count it joy. He says, my brothers, for the many, the various, the the multicolored trials that you'll go through. He says to count it a joy. But James reminds us in just the next verse that God does not tempt us. Meaning, it's never an opportunity to do evil. That's not what God does. But he tells us in 1 Peter that our faith, it's, it's made stronger, it's, it's made purer, it, it is uh, more precious, made more precious by testing. So God is going to test, he's going to do that though to refine or to deepen a person's faith. Man, many of you in the last year or two years have gone through things that has been not a tempting but a testing of your faith. And oftentimes when you meet people, in fact, I would say really of all believers, they walk through something difficult. No one ever says, man, I'm glad that never, I wish that had never happened. It's always, man, it was hard. It was difficult. There were times I never thought I was going to make it. But I wouldn't trade that, that, that time that I went through for anything. And it's because what happens is there's a deepening, a refining that can only happen through a testing. So notice what Philip does. I can relate to Philip. Verse 7, I would see this as his calculated assessment. He said, Philip answered him, Well, Jesus, it would take 200 denarii or eight months worth of wages for enough bread, but it would not even be enough for them to get just a little. So Philip does what any good accountant would does. He assesses the information and he calculates the cost. But it's two things here. One, the easiest road is just throw money at it. You know, problem, throw money, that's the easy solution. But it's also a completely hopeless situation. That's what he's saying. Eight months worth of wages, no one has that. And there's not even enough time for that to happen. But Jesus, he's looking at this young man, and he's an analyzer. He, he calculates things. Maybe, you know, he, he would be an engineer. But he is looking at Jesus, and Jesus asks him this question, but he's not asking Philip for more information. In fact, he says, I already know what I'm going to do. He's going to Philip and wanting to see if he's beginning to understand who he really is. So someone else is going to step in, and it's, it's Andrew. This is kind of his attempt. You see it in verse 8. It says, And one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, Hey, there's a boy here who has five barley loaves. And that, that is the lowest of the low bread. That, that's the bread everyone could afford. And two small fish. It would be like a dried sardine, just enough to give the bread some salty flavor. But what are these? What are they for so many? So he looks at this, and this is the same one that proclaimed, hey, this is the Messiah. Come and see him, brother. Andrew's gone out, and he's kind of surveyed the crowd, trying to put together kind of a potluck. And all he comes up with are these five loaves of bread and two small fishes. 
But Andrew could have said this. He could have said, you know what? Hey, that's all we have. Hey, let's take it to Jesus. You're not going to believe what he's about to do. But he doesn't do that. He takes this and he says, listen, this, what is this? This is so small for so many. So you have two of the disciples that cannot see past man's inability. But I want us to see them not as complete failures. And here's why. The disciples are going to be held up very differently than the religious leaders who were opposing Jesus. And man, we're about to get into the thick of it with those men. So the disciples often failed many times to, I don't know, fully understand or fully grasp what they're seeing and what they're hearing. But they always believe in the Son of God. The Pharisees and the Sadducees of the other end, they understand better than anyone who, who, who Jesus is claiming to be. But to them, they're going to reject him. So I think that all this is put in here, the ugliness or the failures of the disciples, is that God will always, Jesus will always condemn the unbelief of the religious leaders. But with those disciples, what he's doing, he's patiently transforming the minds of believers like Philip and Andrew. That, that belief and faith often are a process because notice what Jesus does. Call this his multiplication factor in verse 10. And Jesus said, have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in this place. So the men sat down about 5,000 in number. And what would usually happen, you would count, but you only counted the men. And we'll just say not because they were more important, but it was just easier. You know, you count the men, that's how they would report it. But you think about it, that could have been twelve to 20,000 people on this hillside. Now imagine that everyone looking at the disciples about what is going on, and Jesus tells them to put them in groups of about 50 to 100. This is going to take some time. And all these people have to be wondering, what is going on? And, you, you know, Andrew's there and Philip, and, and they're asking, hey, what is going on? And I imagine they're saying, I don't know. But this man Jesus, he told us to put you in groups so let's just do that. We have nothing else better to do right now. But they don't have enough food. The, the discussion had to be what was about to happen. So in verse 11, Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks. And I imagine, you know, you're like the kid in the back when you're, the pastor would say, every head bowed, every eye closed. And there's always those few peekers. There's going to be a few going, man, I wonder what's about to happen. And he takes them. And he gives thanks and he distributes them to those that are seated. And notice this, so also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they'd eaten their fill, he told the disciples, gather up the leftover fragments and nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up, filled the twelve baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. So it wasn't that each person just kind of has a small little bite. They had their feel. They ate till their bellies were full. And in fact, 12 baskets left over to show up that Jesus is more than adequate to meet our needs. But there's a problem. You know, they thought all that they had was five loaves and two small fishes. But the problem is that they missed really 
That's not the important thing. The important thing was who was with them. I mean, think about it. They'd seen him change the water into wine. They'd watched the nobleman's or heard about the nobleman's son that was healed from a distance. They heard about Jesus healing the lame man at the pools. But they still had an incomplete view of Jesus. So why would John not hide Philip and Andrew's failure? Again, I think it's to show us that faith and belief is often a process and that Jesus patiently transforms the hearts of believers like Philip and Andrew and you and me. Well, if that was to happen to you, you used to see this miracle, what would you do? Well, notice the crowd's response in verse 14. When the people saw what he had done, they said, this indeed is the prophet, the one came for, uh, that came into the world. And so they remember back to Moses, and they're thinking back, well, Moses, he, he fed all the people in the wilderness. This man is feeding. They watched Moses lead, or they heard about Moses leading their ancestors out of bondage. Well, maybe this is the one to lead us out of bondage from Rome. So notice what they do. In verse 15, perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king. Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. They were about to seize him and take him by force to make him king. The problem is they're not understanding that Jesus is king, but he'll tell us in John 18, but my kingdom is is not of this world. You're not understanding. But you see, they were hungry. Their hunger was an independence and a freedom from oppression from Rome. But they actually needed a better hunger. They needed their bellies to growl for something actually better. You see, before Jesus could reign as the line of Judah... He must first be the lamb that's going to take away the sins of the world. That Jesus knew that he could not be, he could not have this kingdom without first the cross. So the people were missing it and what they were hungry for. So when I read this story, there's two things that I've been thinking about. It's one is like the crowd that, man, I need to teach this to myself more often that, man, many times we are hungry and, and it's this deep hunger for things. And then I think I can look at God and go, man, he doesn't need to hear from me again. Man, I have asked and asked and asked, and he's got to be tired of hearing from me. But God wants to help you. In fact, he tells us in Isaiah 30, verse 18, that he longs to be gracious to you. It says that he longs to be gracious and awaits and exalts to show us mercy. That God wants to care for you. He wants to help you. But the second thing I see from this is that but there is a hunger that's an actually a better hunger. It's a hunger for the things and the mindset and the lifestyle of Jesus. So the crowd, they had a natural hunger for food and a hunger for Jesus to kind of take back the throne of Rome. But Jesus wants to give them actually a better hunger. A hunger to experience God's love and mercy to its fullest. You know, we've seen Christ, they've seen him perform one of the most public 
miracles we see in the New Testament. In fact, it's the only miracle outside the resurrection of Jesus that all four Gospels record. But he's doing something far greater than the people realize. See, Jesus is opening up a window on who he really is. But he's not doing this so that we get excited about how useful he might be to us in getting our vision boards fulfilled or what we are really hungry for. He's opening up of who he really is so that we might see that he is actually better than anything we've ever wanted. And that Jesus can satisfy our deepest hunger. And I would say even give us a better hunger. But look at the next event. I titled this that the disciples are sent into a storm, and that's very important. So he feeds the people, the 5,000. They come to take him by force. But in verse 16, the evening came, and the disciples went down to the sea and got into the boat and started across the sea to Capernaum. But according to Matthew and Mark, it's interesting that Jesus told the disciples. He tells them. In fact, it says he made them get into the boat. And those gospels even tell us that he gets on the side of the the sea there. He sends them out and it even says that he watches them struggle. So hold on to that. So let me show you a picture or a diagram of the Sea of Galilee. They're on the the eastern side, the Golion Heights. He's going to send them across the the sea, and this sea is not very large. It's only about six or seven miles across over to Capernaum. And so let me show you really to kind of put a perspective. Here's a picture of standing on the eastern side looking towards the west, and you can see the city across the way. In fact, you almost could think, I could swim across that on a good day. Well, this is where he sends them. This lake, the problem is it sits about 600 feet below sea level and it's surrounded, you can see, by these mountains, these hills. And so storms can quickly blow in unexpectedly. And Jesus sends the disciples across the lake and he purposefully doesn't go with them. But notice what happens. It was dark. And Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea became rough because of the strong wind was blowing. And so Jesus stays on the mountain to pray and he watches his disciples enter into the storm that he told them to go into. In fact, Mark 6 tells us it's the fourth watch of the night. It's between 3 and 6 a.m. So Jesus is there and he tells them, he sends them out into the boat. He watches them struggle. And he purposely stays back and allows them to get into the middle of the lake. Allow that to sink in. That the disciples did exactly like Jesus told them. Completely obedient. And they ended up in trouble because they had pointed their boat in the direction that the Lord had told them to do. The question has to be, why would he do that? First of all, send them out and then sit back and to watch them struggle. You know, there's a new term for parents nowadays. You've probably heard of the helicopter parent, the one that hovers over their children and does everything for them. Well, there's a new term called the lawnmower parent. And the lawnmower parent tries to mow down every struggle or pain or difficulty that their child might have. Well, Jesus isn't 
a, mo- a lawnmower parent. In fact, he sends them into the storm. And the reason why is that he's going to tell us in John 16 that we will have troubles in this life. It's always been, and it will always be that way. I mean, think of Moses. I mean, Moses would never have been rejected and had to deal with the complaining Israelites if he'd have just turned around and walked the other way and that bush started talking. Daniel, he never would have had to face the lion's den if he hadn't have decided to be faithful to what God called him to do and just eat the food. Pray to the, their God. Paul, think of all the persecution and beatings and stonings and shipwreck he could have avoided, man, if he'd have just stayed in Tarsus. But these men never would have experienced the power of the Holy Spirit in their life. So yes, Jesus sometimes takes us into some fierce storms. In fact, some of you have been in some this past year. But the rewards are always greater. Because no matter our troubles or our fears, God will always show up. In fact, many times in our lives, God seems to show up in that fourth hour watch of the night. You know, that check arrives at the the last minute that you need to, to pay the mortgage or the car payment. Or you're trying to sell that house. And how many times does it seem to happen at the very last moment? Starting this campus, I remember worrying, where are we going to meet? And it seems at the last moment, God provides. Because in our timing, man, God is seldom early. But we have to believe that He is never one second late. Because look, verse 19, who shows up? And when they had rowed about three or four miles, so they are now in the deepest part of the lake, in the darkest part of the night, And they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat and they were frightened. And who wouldn't be? But he said to them, it is I do not be afraid. So he shows up when they're in the darkest part of the night in the deepest part of the lake. He comes walking across the sea and they are frightened. But how calming those words must have been. Hey guys, it's me. Do not Be afraid. And don't lose that he first announces his identity. And that is how they are able to be calmed. So the storm rages. The waves overcome the boat. But as long as they have Jesus, they do not have to be afraid. So why does Jesus send them out in the storm and sit back and watch them struggle? Perhaps it was to take his children to the very end of their own strength so that they would fully rely on him. But notice it's not the end. In verse 21, really another miracle in itself. Then they were glad to take him into the boat. Please, Jesus, get in. And immediately, the boat was at the land to which they were going. And Jesus brings them safely home. You know, we can't always know why God waits. But we can, be, we can rest assured that he always knows everything that's going on and that he cares and that he will never abandon us. And in one day, and we say, please, Lord, come. One day he will bring us safely home. So this morning we see that Jesus can satisfy our deepest hunger. But I would take it a step further and say, give us a better hunger and that he can calm 
our greatest fears. And so this morning, I want us to rest in that. I want us to celebrate those truths. And we're going to do that through communion. But I want to give us a couple of things to reflect upon. One, do you have a hunger for Christ and the things of His kingdom? Or do you find yourself hungering for the things of this world more and more? So would you seek God to give you a greater hunger for Him this morning? Maybe you find yourself this morning, are you fearful of something? Man, are you in a storm? Do you find yourself wondering if God cares and knows and really understands what you're going through? Would you reflect on Exodus 30 this morning? It says the Lord waits to be gracious to you. Thanks again for listening to the podcast today. We hope that you were blessed and encouraged. And if you have any questions or comments, we want you to let us know. Simply send your thoughts to questions at Bethelbible.com. Thanks for spending time with us and be sure to join us next week on the Bethel Bible Podcast.